once you learn something, it's hard to unlearn it. Have you ever found that out? Have you ever had a truth haunt you because you can't forget it? Well, actually, you can react one in several ways when you hear hard truth. You can ignore it, you can tell yourself it doesn't exist. You can oppose it, you can grieve it, or you can take action. Brian Stevenson is a lawyer who represents unjustly incarcerated people, especially people of color in the South who are wrongfully on death row. And he wrote a book about his experiences, and it also became a movie. Brian is in the middle, pictured there, between Michael B. Jordan, who plays him, and Jamie Foxx plays one of his clients. And I highly recommend that you read the book, see the movie, both, any of the above. He came and spoke in Cincinnati, and every time he kept repeating these pieces of his story, and it was hard truth, and it's hard to get out of my mind. It haunts me. Now, Brian first discovered this hard truth when he was in law school, and he was 23 years old, and he took an internship. He grew up in Delaware, he went to Harvard, and he headed south to Georgia. And there he had to go meet his very first person on death row. And when he walked in the room that day, he said, I didn't expect that the person who walked in to meet me would be my age. Another 23-year-old young man who had a wife and a kids outside those walls. And he said he was so nervous and didn't know what to say, and all he could say was this one line that he said that he came to say, you will not be killed this year. We're working on your trial. And it gave the young man such hope and it opened up a floodgate of conversation that they were able to talk and share stories. And Brian realized that they sang the same hymns growing up in church. And they had so many similarities. Just but a few different circumstances, Brian knew that it could have been him inside those walls. And he said his world changed. And after he graduated, he went on to start his own law firm down south, to represent for free people who didn't have a fair trial and who received punishment that they didn't deserve. And over the years, 135 people have had sentences changed because of the Equal Justice Initiative group that he began. Brian spoke in front of the US Supreme Court to change the mandatory life sentence that was put on children 17 and under. He fought for changes in the way the mentally ill were treated in the court system. But he said not every story had a good ending. And in page after page in the book, there are many times when the truth was ignored or opposed, and he couldn't save those people. And he started to wonder at times in his career, what is the point? Did I say the right thing? Have I been doing the right thing? And you can see all the results and think, how could he ever have doubt? But it happens, doesn't it? And today, when we read this scripture passage, I want us to realize that these were real human beings speaking real truth. And I wonder if they ever had doubt. We are looking at our series called Behind the Scenes, where we've been digging into the book of Acts. And we've been discovering what it was like to be the church, to begin the church. For people who believed in Jesus, what did they do after he died and rose and went back to heaven? How did they function? And we've been finding story after story 
of the highs and lows of being the first church. We're gonna be in Acts 14 today. That's page 782 if you use a Bible in the pew. And as you head there, I wanna give us a little background of where we've left off. A couple of weeks ago, we looked in chapter 11 of Acts, and we saw a man named Barnabas, who was an encouraging disciple and apostle, a leader in the church, and he traveled to Antioch of Syria to visit the Gentiles there, because the first believers in Jesus were Jewish, and they started to tell their neighbors and their fellow friends who were Gentiles that Jesus' grace was for them too. And now we have communities of believers given a new name, Christian, because they were no longer Jew and Gentile, but they were a new people believing together. And so Barnabas had gotten his friend Saul. We'll also see him used by his other name, Paul, today. And the two of them were in this church for a while. And I want us to read in Acts 13 that they were sent out on a special mission because the church in Antioch of Syria, they had these leaders together that prayed. And let's read this together. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This started a missionary journey where Paul and Barnabas were going to go to town after town and preach the good news. Now, I want us to look on a map because we are going to explore several places today. And I don't know if about you, but sometimes I like to see, okay, here's what the world looks like now because we're going to see some different names. But modern-day Turkey and Syria, that's what we're going to focus on. So if you want to flip to the next map, If you see, we've got our yellow dot over here on the right. That's Antioch. There's going to be another Antioch. Don't get confused. This is the starting point. That's where the leaders laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas because God said, send them out from here on a journey. And you see our little red line here and all the dots where they stopped. Now, we are going to begin in Lystra up at the top, but I want to tell you and sum up what has happened along this journey so far. There's been a repeating pattern. Paul and Barnabas arrive, they preach the good news, and some people believe. But then, after they have stayed a while, they started to make some people angry. Some of the leaders were, didn't like the truth about Jesus, or they were jealous over Paul and Barnabas getting so many people to follow Jesus, and so they would make problems for them. They would start to plot against them, and so then Paul and Barnabas would leave the town. So now, that's where we find them in Acts 14, starting in verse 8, in the town of Lystra. In Lystra there sat a man, crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. That's some kind of impressive reaction to a sermon, right? People thinking you're a god? Don't hold back, okay? It's okay. But it was really interesting to think, why did they react this way? 
Well, first of all, we realize, of course, it was God working through Paul and Barnabas to do these miracles, but we read just a few verses earlier in verse 3 that the Lord was doing this to confirm his message of grace. He knew that some people needed an extra emphasis, an extra example of this grace that was offered to them. And so God had done this through Peter, Jesus worked miracles on earth, and it's all for the same purpose, to lift up God, to show his power and his glory and his love for people. And so that is why Paul was able to look at a man who was overlooked in society and say, walk again. Now, there was an ancient Roman poet named Ovid, and he had written a myth. And I think that this is what the people had in the back of their minds. Because when they saw Paul and Barnabas and thought, look, there's a miracle happening here, they immediately thought, it must be the gods we worship. There was a myth that said that Zeus and Hermes had come in human form before, and they came into a town, and no one recognized them, except for one elderly couple. They knew it was Zeus and Hermes and invited them into their house, and then they were saved when destruction came upon the city. So perhaps the people in Lister were like, I don't want this to be a mistake. I don't want to miss out. What if this really is Zeus and Hermes? And so Zeus, you might know, we'll have our little statue here. He was the god of thunder. See the lovely lightning bolt in his hand. And Hermes is seen often as running because he is Zeus's messenger and he's running to spread the good news of whatever Zeus wanted to say. And since Paul was the one who was doing the preaching here, they thought Paul represented Hermes. Now, Let's read what Paul and Barnabas' reaction was to all of this outpouring of love and adoration. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, why are you doing this? We are only men, human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with those words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now, if you heard last week, there, Steve preached a sermon, and he talked about Herod of Agrippa and how he was a leader, and when people thought he was a god, he accepted their praise. He took it on. He did not deny what they thought of him, and the result was that he died. He was struck down. He was eaten by worms, and here, Paul and Barnabas doing the exact opposite. They don't want to receive the glory. They are trying to point all the glory to God, and if you heard those words that they tore their clothes that was a sign of extreme grief and anguish that someone would lift them up rather than God. Now, I love the summary of verse 17 to see that God is providing food. He's filling hearts with joy. That's beautiful. And it's likely the opposite of the, he's such a personal God, and the God that they worshiped, Zeus, was often angry and did not care for them in the tender way that Paul is describing of Yahweh, the living God. And just think, he provides 
plenty of food, not just what you need. He provides abundance. He brings joy. Those are two love languages of mine, food and joy. But hidden in Paul's words was something that we might not recognize in the culture of the day. Because not only was Zeus the god of thunder, but every region also worshipped other characteristics about him. And in one region, in Athens, they called him Zeus Gergos, the god of crops and harvest. So here when Paul's saying, Yahweh God is the one providing you with rain. God, the living God, is the one giving you harvest. That's flying in the face of Zeus. That's saying he is not real. Do not lift him up for the good things brought to your town. God the Lord is the one who will provide for you. I love when I find that out about there's so many different words that are used in the time. And to know what was going on in the culture, it had a deeper meaning. So finally, let's get to verse 19 and 20. We think some time has passed between these verses. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Let's pause there and look at this map again. Because we said that they are in Lystra, the dot kind of in the middle of our screen, and off to the left, that's the Antioch where these people have come from. A hundred miles to come and bother Paul and Barnabas. That's some road rage when you take the time back then to travel 100 miles because you're ticked off at somebody. So somehow they had learned that Paul and Barnabas were continuing to preach Jesus and they were traveling to come stop them. They stoned Paul, verse 19, dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Now, again, not to be gruesome, but thinking about how physically wounded would Paul have to have been, that they thought he was dead. They thought they were taking a dead body outside of the city and leaving him there. That is the anger and the vitriol that came upon them for preaching, for speaking Jesus' truth. And here they left another town. And I know that they had seen God move. They'd seen miracles happen that they got to be a part of. They got to see that there were believers in these towns. But how disheartening that the last words you hear before you leave a town are the hatred, all the screaming, all the anger, the physical blows to Paul's body. That's how they were leaving. It was not a triumph. It was in despair and disheartened. And I think, did they question? Did they stop and have a moment where it was like, did we hear God right? He said to say these things, right? But you have to wonder if they had moments of doubt. I know there are some of you here in this room that may have experienced similar doubt. Because I know some stories. I know some of you have spoken up. You have spoken hard truth in places, and it has not been received. Some people have spoken up in your place of work, and you've asked for honesty and right decisions, and you've been ignored. In relationships, you have required respect and accountability that has been put aside. 
In friendships, you've pointed out shaming, gossiping, bullying that has occurred. And you've been put out of that friend group because you spoke up. In your community, you have spoken out against inequality. And in your family, you've had to prove why going to church and believing in Jesus is a good thing. And that didn't always bring change. You might have been ignored or outright opposed. And it seems unjust. And you probably started to question, did I say the right thing? But I hope that you take heart. Because God absolutely gave Paul and Barnabas a message. They spoke Jesus' truth. And we have to trust that just as God was moving there, that he can still move in our words today. Jesus spoke God's truth. He spoke about himself. He was run out of towns. His life was threatened. And he was eventually arrested and murdered on a cross. And God brought us salvation and himself glory through his death and resurrection. So let's see the rest of the story because it doesn't end there. God was moving, and let's find out how. Verse 21 and 22 says, Barnabas and Paul preached the good news in that city, that was Derby, the last dot on our map, and they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Now, if you notice those same names of towns, Paul and Barnabas took the route and backtracked how they came. They were going back to the place where Paul was almost killed. They were going to the place where they had been threatened and run out of town. That took courage. Because they knew that the same people who were opposing them, the new Christians, the people who did believe, they had to live among these people every day. Imagine the hardships. Imagine the way they were taunted or threatened every day of their lives living in this town with people who didn't believe in Jesus, and they did. And so they took time to go back to these dangerous places to say, stay strong, stay true to the faith. You're going to have hardship, but press on. And I love then that we get to the final verses in this chapter. In verse 26, it says that Barnabas and Paul sailed back to Antioch, the original starting place where they were sent out, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. The mission God sent them on was complete. And on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now, I love that they had a time of peace and rest. When they told the story back to their home church, it says that they thought of all the things that God had done. And, and maybe they shared the bad, but I love that they, the good things that God was doing, the positive, the people who did believe that that was first and foremost on their minds and hearts, that they were able to rejoice. And I love that we have evidence here that God still 
moved. While it might be easy to focus on the negative and the fact that they had to flee every town and the hardship that they went through physically, emotionally, mentally, I love that we get to see the evidence that God was changing lives. Even though the loudest voices in in the crowd at every city was negative and hate, God was moving quietly in hearts. He was taking the seeds of truth planted by Paul and Barnabas, and he was working salvation. He was working transformation in people's lives. Brian Stevenson is a man of faith, and he was recently interviewed by Christianity Today, and I love the words that he said, because in the same spirit, though he has faced opposition, he, like Paul and Barnabas, is hoping that God will use his words to change lives, and he calls out other Christians to do the same. He said, people of faith and people of conviction have always had to stand up when other people say, sit down. To speak when other people say to be quiet. People don't like when they're forced to confront things that aren't pleasant, that are unhappy. But we have to do that. And I actually think people of faith have a critical role. We understand that if we want to get to a better place, if we want redemption, if we want restoration, there has to be confession there has to be repentance. And sometimes God wants to speak those hard truths through us. And I don't want to do it. That's not comfortable. I want to be liked and loved and lifted up. But we're asked to speak Jesus' truth. And so that's what I need to say to you and to us together as a body of believers today. Keep sharing the grace and salvation of Jesus. Keep living out the fullness of his love in situations that feel untenable, in situations and moments in front of people that you think are ignoring or opposing you. God is still moving. If God's spirit has asked you to speak up, it might cost you something. You might never know if you made a difference or not. But please, keep speaking Jesus' truth. Sometimes, sometimes we do get the privilege, and it might be down the road, where we see a life changed, and God reminds us that we got to play a part in that. But we might not always see it. Yet I have to cling to the promises, the promises that we read at the beginning of this service today in Isaiah 55. And I tell you, I go back to this scripture again and again because I feel inadequate. And I wonder, am I doing anything? Am I saying the right things? It feels empty, but God made a promise that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without water in the earth, so, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields for the sower, bread for the eater, my word 
that goes out from my mouth. It's the same way. Just as it's beautiful and we can see spring arriving soon, that is what God says his word will do. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God says it right there. All he's asking us to do is echo his words. It's his words. And if we speak it, that's all we're asked to do is put it out into the world. And he is saying, I will not let that return empty. It will accomplish its purpose. It's not on us. God is saying he will do it. He's asking us to be the ones to speak it. So I say, like Paul and Barnabas, it will require hardship, but keep the faith. Don't stop speaking. Don't give up. Keep speaking Jesus' truth. Let's pray. God, we thank you that someone spoke your truth that changed our hearts, and it's why we're here today. And sometimes you're asking us to say a hard truth to others. And we're sorry for the times that we've been scared and not taken the opportunity. And we ask that you will open our eyes to the next opportunity that comes. Give us the courage to speak when we don't know the results. To speak when we know the results will be harm or negative against us. Because we know and trust your promise that your word will go out and it will accomplish what you intended. Thank you for allowing us to be a piece of your moving in the world, that you entrust us, you entrust our voices, you entrust our interactions. You're allowing us to be a piece of this beautiful, life-changing salvation. Thank you, Lord. Amen.